If you decided to listen to this week's message of Dr. Day Central, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. All right. Good evening, fam. What up? How's everyone doing? Did everyone have a good holiday? Well, it's over now. Come on, yo, it's been like October since I've seen some of you, right? It's like a whole like, group of people have, have come and gone. And man, it's so good to see you guys. It's good to be back. Guys, ready to be back in bloom? Yeah? It's not that bad. It's hot. But we got you covered because uh, we got a lot of stuff happening. But maybe before we dive into today's sermon, I have some news to share with you guys. Are you guys ready for it? I'm not pregnant, if you wanted to know. Unfortunately, I cannot get pregnant. But here's the thing. We're going to start something great on the 19th of February. Everyone say 19th of February. Everyone say it takes two to make a thing go right. It takes two to make it out of sight. So what's happening is we're going to two evening services. And I know some of you are saying like, Brent, why? Why are we going to do something like that? Well, we're trusting as a leadership, we're trusting and having faith that we're going to see a lot of new people walk into the space in the next few weeks. And um, first years are coming to Varsity. There's a bunch of new students that are joining the space. I mean, a lot of new people here tonight. Any new people? Put up your hand. You see, if we have, if we have so many people coming every week, right? We need to make sure that we have an extra service. So what we want to do is create a double service for the evening times. And this is going to be an amazing space because for some of you, it's going to be fantastic. And for the rest of you, it's going to be even better. Because here, who here doesn't like staying up late? Anyone? Okay, the married people and like the dating and the working people. So we got a service for you, right? So there's going to be an early service um, for students as well. If you've got to like study for the next day, anyone? Yeah, you always have that, right? This is not an excuse for you to not go study. You can't tell that to your mom anymore. I've had some phone calls. Just saying. But uh, it's going to be an amazing time. So we're going to actually start the first service at 4.30 until about just before 6. And the second service will start at 6 o'clock till late. Whoop, whoop. Yes, everyone's super keen for the late service, and the bus will be running for the second service as well. So it's going to be an amazing space for you to connect to. Um, next week, we're going to explain some more of this, but the reason behind this, and very simply put, is this, is that we're trusting that we're going to see a lot of people meet Jesus, right? For me, it's not about a full church. For me, it's not about getting people here and just even the ICs. <laughs> you know what it's about? For people meeting Jesus for themselves. Let me ask this question quickly in the room. Be, stick up your hand if that's you. If you in the past year met Jesus in this church, put up your hand. Put it up, nice and I. You see, that's what we want to see. And we want to see more of this happen. We want to see more of people actually getting to know who Jesus really is. And what a great place for that to us open up a house a space for people. So we're going to invite you to invite your friends. We're going to invite you to invite the, the guy that you don't like in your, in your res. Invite him, right? Invite your dog, whatever. Just invite something or someone. Just everyone to come because we want everyone to be here for those two services. It's going to be an amazing, an amazing time together. So um, I'm going to kick off with our sermon today. And, and here's the thing. We're in a brand new series called Come As You Are. Look at the person next to you and say, just, just come here. Just come as you are. Just come over here. All right, if you're Afrikaans or, you know, we live in the free state, it's come as you is. Yeah? 
Yeah. Uh, a guy came to me the other day. He's like, what is this come as you is thing? What is? I said, listen, Gerard, you got to get your English right. Come on. Come on. But here's the thing, right? Sometimes in Christianity, we think that we need to clean up our lives and then come to church. I've grew, I, I don't know about you, but I grew up like that. I grew up with a thing of like, like in the weekends, like what do you wear? Short pants, pluckies, chilling. And then Sunday, tie, suit. I'm like, yes, Lord. I'm sorry, I'm not wearing a tie and suit. <laughs> but it's like this, this thing of like Sundays, I need to be this, this good person. And the rest of the week, I'm like, just relax with who I am. And we think that with our relationship with God, it's that same thing. That I need to clean myself up, get a good shave, look good. And then when I walk into church, it's like, ah, man of God has arrived, you know. And then when I'm in that space, I need to be, I need to make sure I don't have sin, that I'm good. You know, I need to sort my life out before I come to church or before I get baptized. By the way, we're baptizing two people tonight. Amen. Very cool. Or maybe I need to, you know, get my life in order so that I can come back to church. You know how many people have said to me, Brent, I'm going through a rough time. I just need to go sort out my life and then I'm coming back to church. That's like saying to a doctor that just said, listen, you have a chronic condition. Then he said, oh, wow, that's crazy. Listen, keep the medicine, keep the hospital. I'm going to go sort out my life and then I'll come back when I'm ready. That makes no sense, right? No, you go to the hospital, you, you ask the doctor, you say, well, look, what's happening here? There's something wrong here. Help me out. And that's the point. This is a family where we can grow with one another. You see, maybe you think to yourself this after sinning. I mean, it was holiday. We all sinned, right? Just checking, just checking. <laughs> gotcha. People are like, mm. <laughs> gotcha. Um, but, but it is like, I mean, Jesus could never love a person like me. Maybe you're sitting here very skeptical about church and saying, Jesus couldn't love a person like me or, or God will take away blessings in my life because I've sinned so much. You see, the above mentioned is very simply this. This is thinking in a driven mindset in the system of religion. Religion. Religion teaches this thing. It's, it's this picture right here next to me. It's a ladder. Religion is this ladder that I, I climb the ladder. I look at the ladder and I'm like, you know, I'm climbing the ladder. I'm doing good Christian things, doing good stuff. I gave someone money. God's, you know, good. and then what do you do? Is like, oh, a guy drives in front of me in traffic and you're like, Neh. you know, someone pushes in line in front of you and they act like they didn't. That's the worst. Like at least like say sorry, like sorry I pushed in front of the line and then you just like, but I mean, you get angry and you're like, oh, but then you're like, oh, and then you start climbing down the ladder, you know, because now you're getting further away from God. And that is the picture of religion. That is not what Jesus came to do. It is the exact opposite of what Jesus came to do. You see, religion, just a little bit of a, a, a lesson for you. Within religion, a bunch of different religions in this world, Christianity is extremely different. It is exactly the opposite of other religions. Islam teaches you the five pillars of Islam. Uh, Hinduism explains this thing called karma. You know, what you put out there, you'll get. That's, that's not Christian. That's not Christian. Because it's not, it's not a thing of like me trying to do something to get back. Buddhism speaks about this, uh, this picture that um, human life is one big suffering and it's spiritual and, and physical labor, all these things that you must reach this place called enlightenment or Nevada. Nothingness. 
Imagine trying to sell that one, right? <laughs> yeah. I want to give you nothingness. Like, it like doesn't feel like we're getting there, but, but we sometimes think Christianity is this. It's reading my Bible, going to church, and I must behave in a certain way because then God will love me. That's religion. That's separate. Basically, religion produces two types of people. The Bible teaches us this. It, it, it produces two types of people when you get to religion. It produces puffed up people, right? Puffed up people and broken down people. Puffed up people. Ha, you know, I read my Bible 400 times this week. Oh, shame. You only read it once. <laughs> flick there. Like, I know you to flick, but. You know, it's that thing of like, like yeah, no, I'm, I'm better Christian than you. Have you ever seen that thing? Like I watched this comedian the other day. It was quite funny. He says, we don't want people to live their best life. We want them to live a slightly worse life than us. Right? So that we can look at them and say, oh, at least we're not like that. And that's what religion does. Religion says, I'm puffed up. Or, or religion says, I'm broken down. Man, I can't get this Christian thing right. I can't get this church thing right. It's just so difficult. How can I love people the whole time? It's so difficult. Like, it's so, like, I can't be good the whole time. And I keep falling into this one sin. Like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. I'm out of here. And that's the thing. It, it, religion only brings out those two spaces. You see, Jesus never called us to a religious system. He called us to something greater, far greater than a religious system. So there's the story in the Bible, Old Testament, the story of Mephibosheth. Now try and say that seven times in a row, right? Quickly say Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. And this guy, other than his name, that's, you know, not lacquer, um, because imagine having that name, right? It's not the best. It doesn't roll off the tongue. So let's call him Mephi or Mephi, right? But uh, just for this meth boy, whatever it would be, right? But this guy, just to give you some background, Mephibosheth um, lived in the time of King Saul and David, right? And in this transition between King Saul and David, he lived there. But the problem was, is that Mephibosheth lived on the wrong side of the story. Mephibosheth was the grandson of Saul. He was the son of Jonathan. And in the story, he was on the wrong side because we know the story that David overthrew Saul. And then there's a lot of things that happen. I mean, if you were to overthrow someone else... In a kingdom, right, there's a monarch and you would overthrow that. It was traditional cultural practice that the new king that takes over would kill the king and his entire family, everything of his bloodline, plus the servants to make sure that there's no uprising that happens later on, right? That there's no, there's no like, you know, uprising from people that are still, you know, um, secure and, and like uh, looking towards the previous king saying that we can do that. And so Mephibosheth is kind of like in the wrong side of the story. So... Here's what happens. He's actually sitting thinking, man, I really hope, you know, my grandpa Saul and Jonathan don't go. Like, I hope they are sticking around. Because if, if that happens, I'm, I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm not in a good space. People are going to come for me. <coughs> so when he was about five years old, he heard some bad news. In 2 Samuel 4, it says that he heard some bad news. And the bad news was this, is that his father and his grandpa was killed in war. David killed them within, in this picture of war. And the next thing that would happen is, is he knew what was coming. He knew that there was a moment where they were going to kill his entire family. 
So the nurse that was looking after him, he was about five years old, took him up and ran away from David's men trying to hide him. But she tripped, unfortunately, and fell. And this child, Mephibosheth, broke his back. And then he became lame. Like not lame like his name. His name's pretty lame, let's be honest. Like, it's not a great, like, what's your name, Mephibosheth? Like, what? But he became lame. He, he could not walk. He no longer could walk. And now he's in the place where he's, where he's like, oh my word, for the rest of my life, I can't walk. And David's after me. Can you start feeling the stress of this guy? Then David starts walking towards Jerusalem. And he comes to do this to unite Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem was in such a strategic place that it could unite everyone in the story of the Bible. It can actually bring people close. So he comes to the gates of Jerusalem, uh, you know, over uh, in that space saying that I'm confident that I'm going to take over Jerusalem. And then the Jebusites, the people living within Jerusalem, are standing and they look at David and they're like, who's this David? Huh? They, obviously, they haven't heard the story of Goliath, right? <laughs> And they're like, oh, who's this David guy? And they're like, insult him. They said, you know what? You would never overthrow us. Like, we've got these massive walls. We're amazing. There's nothing you can do. They, they even said this much. They said this, and listen up. This is important. They said, we're so confident in ourselves. And you, you're like this little king. So we're so confident. We're going to put the blind people and the lame people on the posts of the wall so that they would look after us. That's how confident we are. Yes, and I don't know about you, Nair, but David, yeah, he's one of those guys. A giant comes to him and he's like, what are you doing, little boy? And he's like, look here. Twah. Hits him. Like he's not scared of anything. And so the inevitable happens. David's super strategic, cuts off the water supply to Jerusalem. He like fish, you know, um, like smokes them out in a sense. And he takes over Jerusalem. And Jerusalem actually became known as the city of David, right? He took over this entire city. Now, why am I telling you this story? Well, in the city, he had a palace. And there was a saying that went around. If you go read in 2 Samuel, there's a saying that went around that no lame and blind were allowed in the palace of David because that would be like an insult, right? It would be the same kind of insult the king gave to him earlier. And so Mephibosheth kind of hears the story. He's in, a, in another town called Lobar, Lodabar, Ludabar, Lodabar, one of those towns, right? And so he's in this town in a refuge city of Israel. And first of all, I mean, he's already in trouble because he's born on the wrong side. So he knows David's out to get him. Second thing, very important thing. He's also now living the life of a beggar because he's lame. I mean, and he hears the, the news of the things that people are saying. No lame and no blind in the palace of David. You know, and he knows that he's not fit to be in that place. And just by the way, just a little bit of background for Mephibosheth. Like when you think of a person that's lame, right? Not lame like, you know, your science teacher at school. Um, like lame. Or your dad jokes. Or your dad's jokes. Not your dad. Your dad's cool. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so this person was lame. You'd think, you know, nice wheelchair. He has one of those cars that, you know, and lifts you up and puts you inside and all that. No, 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 no. There was no such thing as wheelchairs. Mephibosheth, if he wanted to get somewhere, he had to crawl through the ground, through the dust, through the muck to get somewhere. He had to literally pull himself with his arms everywhere he wanted to go. Or he had to like convince someone to carry him. That's what the two options. And so this man was living a life crawling through everything, and he's scared. 
And then the story starts taking a bit of a turn. In 2 Samuel 9 verse 1, David says something. He says this. David asks to his servants, he says, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Like, this is one of those moments that you don't want to, you know, like, is there anyone left? Like, we know we sorted everyone out. Is there anyone left from Saul's bloodline? Like, I just want to show him some kindness. And I think, you know, he's like the gods of the king, you know, they were standing there and they're looking and they're like, yeah, sure, David, yeah. You want to show him some, you know, forgiveness and, you know, just show him some, some, some like, you know, it's going to be okay moment, you know, just show him a little bit of kindness. It's like, no, bro, you're going to sort him out. <laughs> like, we can see it. And he actually goes, no, no, I want to do that because he's reminded of something that happened earlier. There was a covenant, right, between Jonathan and David. There was a covenant Jonathan and David made. So in this story where Saul was on mission to kill David, everything, what happened is he met up with Jonathan and him and Jonathan made a covenant to say that as long as I live, this promise I make to you, it is, and a covenant just by the way is unconditional. So it doesn't matter if you die or not, whatever, I'm sticking with this thing, right? I want to make sure that, that this happens is as long as I live, I will show favor to the house of Jonathan. And that's the promise David made. He says, it doesn't matter what happens, I will always show promise to you. And now the story goes on. Verse 2, it says, Now there was a servant in Saul's house named Zeba, and he was summoned to him. It sounds like a, you know, spaceship movie, Zeba. Um, but he appeared before David, and the king said to him, Are you Zeba? And he's like, Yep, that's me at your service. And then the king asked, Is there still someone alive from Saul's time, you know, that I can show God's kindness? So Zeba answered, He says, Yes, he still has a son, the son of Jonathan, and he's lame in both feet. Now I know what you're thinking, and I'm thinking too. He's like Ronaldo, lame in both feet. Like, you know, I mean, he's, I mean, he's in Israel and he's lame in both feet. I mean, <laughs> it just makes sense, right? Um, anyway, I just offended half of the group and half of the group have a joke they can go tell to someone else. No, I'm just joking. But he was lame in both feet. So they asked, where is he? And he said, no, he's in, in this space in Lodabar. So David said, go fetch him. Go to Lodabar, go to that space, and go fetch him. And man, this was a crazy thing. Because now the, the king's God, like, you know, they put up this whole chariot, everything. Cha-cha-cha. They go out of the gates. Everyone's like, oh, something's happening. You know, he's sending the Uber, and he's going. They go to Lodabar, and people know Mephibosheth lives there, right? So people are like, oh, snap, do you think it's happening? And he goes down the, the, the main town road, and then he turns there left at Meth's Mephibosheth. <laughs> you know, he's turned off. Mephibosheth, number one, he lives there. Mephibosheth Lane. And uh, he turns off there, and people are like, it's going down. He's going to sort him out. So I can imagine that guard kicks open the door, Where's Meth Boy, right? Where are you? And he's hiding in the corner like, no. And he can't do much, so he realizes he mustn't do anything about it. So they pick him up, put him in the chariot, take him straight to the palace of David. <coughs> now you know the saying, right? No lame and no blind in the palace of David. But here, they start taking him into the palace. And people, I can imagine the servants around him are like... Yo, David's like serious about this. <laughs> like he's even allowing the guy to come in. He's going to he wants to sort him out himself. And then he goes into the throne room. 
And there David is, standing. And it says, When Mephibosheth, the son of, David, uh, son of Jonathan, and son of Saul, bloodline, came to David, he, borrow, uh, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth! I don't know why he shouted. That's a weird thing to do. But he just did it. And then you know, Mephibosheth said, at your service. He kind of bowed down and said, I'm so sorry I'm here, kind of. And then he said, do not be afraid. David says something radical. In the moment you would say, oh, lacquer, get you, papa, mafia, you're out of here. No, but he doesn't do that. He says, don't be afraid. For I will surely show you the kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you the land belonging to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Immediately, there's some other kindness shown to Mephibosheth. And in this next moment, what does he do? How does he respond? He says this. He bows down and he says this. What is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Like, you know, people say you have to have good (laughs) self-talk. This isn't good self-talk. Wake up in the morning, look at yourself in the mirror like, oh, you look like a dead dog. Smell like one too, <laughs> you know. You don't do that. But here he is. He says, why would you love a dead dog like me? And later on, he says, David says to King Ziba, he said to him, your servant will do whatever the Lord, the king commands and the servants to do. So he calls Ziba. He says, listen, you're going to start working in the fields for this guy. You're going to start producing. That land of his is back to him. But you're going to, with your servants, work the land and the blessing will go to Mephibosheth. And he says, Mephibosheth sat at the table of David. I'm like one of the son's kings or the king's sons. And this is a crazy thing because this man that was lame in both feet, like Ronaldo. This man, I'm just joking. <laughs> See, people to go on too seriously. This man was in a space where he thought King David's going to kill him, sort him out for the things that he stood for. But he doesn't do that. He invites him in, he blesses him, and he says to him, Like the king's son, you have a seat at the table. Why is this story important? Well, There's an ultimate story of Mephibosheth. You see, religion (laughs) says, climb the ladder. But Jesus says, come as you are. Sit at the table because I have something you will never regret having. I have something great for you. See, the first thing is this, is that Jesus calls calls us to himself, not a religion. Jesus has never called us to a religion. He has only called us to himself. Jesus calls us to himself in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you chocolate. No, rest. Rest. You see, when we go to religion, all it will give us is burden. And all it will give us is make us weary in our faith. But he says, that is not the way. Come to me and I will give you rest. You will sit at the table. You will sit and dine with me. You will always have a seat, a place at my table. Not a act to try and live out a ladder show. <laughs> By the way, next week we're going to talk about more, a little bit more about this ladder. But he says, I'm not calling you to some or other higher power. No, I'm calling you. To me, because I am the ultimate one. 
I am the one that will set you free. Not only does Jesus do that, but Jesus sees you better. He sees you better. <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, think of the guy Mephibosheth. He called himself a dead dog. What have you called yourself sometimes before God? Hey? It's God, I'm the worst. It's God, I, I'm not worthy. God, I can't do that. God, look what I did. How can you love me? How can you love me? But I want to tell you this truth is that even the best way you've looked at yourself, God sees you way better. God sees you way better. Isaiah 55, we've read this before. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. He says, for as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Just two things about this piece of scripture. Number one, it's not a excuse for us to, to use this in a religious sense, right? This happens. People do this. People use this piece of scripture. If you actually go read it further and read the context in front of it, it has a way different context, right? People read this and go, something happens to me, something bad. So then I say, oh, not in my ways, but your ways, Lord. I will not understand this, but you know, you know better. And we live in this, we'll never know God's way. We'll never know the way he thinks, the way he does things. But that's not the truth. He invites us to sit at the table. When Isaiah's writing this, he's actually saying, God, our ways are so primitive to the way that you think. I mean, the Jews always thought that, you know, Jesus is going to come on some other, sort out people and, you know, save them from, from um, armies and defeat them. But he doesn't come in that way. He comes to defeat something greater than armies. He comes to defeat sin once and for all. Because his ways are higher than our ways. We think that we need to climb a ladder and do this thing and, you know, fix our lives and do this. And he says, no, 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 no. That's your way. Enjoy that. But you'll never get there. But I have something better, the way I have brought something, something higher, something better. And guess what? When you're in that place, you won't think of yourself as a worm anymore. You will think of yourself as a son at the table of a king. You see, I want to ask this question. How do you see yourself? Genuine, before God, if you were to stand before God right now, how would you see yourself? Would you see yourself like Mephibosheth? You know, I'm just a dead dog, God. I'm not good enough. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm not worthy to be this close to you. God is higher than me. He's farther away from me. I'm going to just try and not let, make him notice me because just now he zaps me. That's not God. Or maybe do you come to God and it's like, you know, I'm the, I'm the super holy Christian. You know, me, like I'm better than him. Like, have you seen him? <laughs> have you seen his Instagram? Oh, my word. I mean, at, at least I'm not like her. But then we are a Pharisee. And, and Jesus even spoke to the Pharisees and said, guys, you are missing it. It's not about the system. It's about me. It's about sitting at the table with me and enjoying who I am. And here's the crazy thing. Not only does Jesus call us to himself, not only does he see us in a better way than we would ever see ourselves, but lastly, Jesus calls us first. There's nothing you need to do to be called by God. 
There's nothing you need to prove to be good enough to be loved by God. He comes to you and he calls you out. He says, come as you are. Come and see who I am. Come as you are to my table. Oh, but God, you know, I'm, I still have this problem. Or I'm still not good in this. Or like, I still doubt. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I didn't ask you for excuses. I asked you for one thing. To come as you are. Because when you're sitting with me at the table, while we have a meal, while we enjoy life together, I'm going to show you what it looks like to be a son of a king. To be a daughter of a king. To live life fully. He's not worried about your sin. He's not preoccupied by your sin because he's paid for it. He's more worried about your heart. And he says, come, sit at my table. See, there's a story where Jesus calls Lazarus out of, out of a cave. <laughs> you know, friends come to him and say, listen, Lazarus, your buddy Lazarus, it was like Jesus says, you know, hashtag bestie. And he's like, listen, your, your, your friend Lazarus is really, really, really like sick you need to come and he's like yo that's cool then he stays longer and then everyone's like yo that's harsh and jesus come on and so jesus is on his way to lazarus and when he lazarus and when he gets there he's been dead for a few days like he's in the tomb you know not smelling like a right and so there's a conversation and, and he asks the lady standing next to him saying do you believe in the resurrection She's like, yo, one day the resurrection is going to come and it's going to be amazing. And it's like the worth is going to shatter and stuff. And all, and, all, and, she can, and he goes, whoa, whoa, can I tell you something? I am the resurrection. I am life. And the next moment he looks into the cave or the, the space, the tomb of Lazarus. And he says, Lazarus, come out. We have a golf game. We need to, <laughs> we need to go. Like, now come out. We got to go bry. <laughs> and what happens? Lazarus walks out of that. Jesus calls him out of death into life. He says, come as you are, smelly. <laughs> You've been rotting for days. Doesn't matter. Come here. I want to show you what life is about. See, today we're going to do baptism. And this is a symbol of that. A symbol that God has called us out of death just as he died into life. And we're going to celebrate and it's going to be so, so good. But here's the question for you. And we're going to end off there. Is how do you see yourself in the story? Do you still see yourself as a Mephibosheth? God, I'm not good enough to be with you. God, I can't. Or do you maybe see yourself as someone sitting at the table? Man, two quick stories. You see, the day I met Jesus, I've shared the story a hundred times, and I'll share it another thousand times. But the day I met Jesus, I came, you know, to Jesus, and I'm like, ah, oh, these Christian people are weird, eh? Have you seen Christian people? Look around you. Like, they're weird. Like, let's be honest. Like, you guys are weird, right? Uh, even me, right? But, I mean, Christian people are weird. Like, they're always happy. Why? You know, always smiling. I remember I went on the camp, met a bunch of Christian people. I thought they're smoking something. Like, I'm not even joking. I thought, like, where do I get this? Like, how is it Bungalow 3? Do I go to Bungalow 3? I don't know how it works. And they're just happy the whole time. And then so I spent time with them and I, and I was in worship and, and God started speaking to me. I'm like, ooh, what's this? And a guy said in the sermon, you know, I don't, still today, I don't know what he preached, like me. Like you're sitting, some of you are sitting here going, I don't even know what he said in the past half an hour. 
It's okay. <laughs> I'll be fine. But in that moment, he says, who wants to give their life to Christ? And I was like, I looked up at my hand. I'm like, what have you done? No jokes. I was literally like, oh my word, you've deceived me. And a guy comes to me and explains the gospel. He prays with me. And I'm like, yeah, I want this. I want the gospel. I want this. This sounds good. You know, be friends with Jesus. And I went back into worship and I'm busy worshiping and God speaks to me. Man, blew my mind. He says, Brent, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say fix yourself. He literally says these words. I love you. And when you know what I did? I'm a Fibosheth God. I was like, God, you don't love me. I, if you, if you know the things I do and you know the way I think and you know how bad I am and you know how dead of a dog I am, there's no way you can love me. And he says, Brent, I know everything. I even know the things you don't tell people. And guess what? I love you. And that changed my life forever. That's why I'm standing here alive today. It's because of that. Because of choosing Jesus. And, and it's so funny, right? Maybe today is that day you want to choose that. And say, you know what? I, I'm, I don't want to be the dead dog you know, crawling to Jesus. I want to sit at his table. But maybe for some of you, you've been sitting at his table for years, for months, for weeks. But it's like <sighs> missing something. A few years earlier, two, three years ago in ministry, I had like a great year in ministry, right? I was leading a youth group. We like doubled in size. It was going amazing. We were like excited. People were like growing. A lot of those people in my youth group are now working full-time in church. Like it's just, it's just like, it was like the year in church, man. Everything, we even had t-shirts. Like that's how good it was. People were like, I was there and I got the t-shirt. That's how you know it was good. And I came to the end of the year and it was an amazing year. And then God spoke to me. He said, Brent, you did so great this year. But you're so far away. And I got caught up in church. I got caught up in the things of church. The things on the table, the nice decorations, the ooh, sharp knife, you know, all the nice stuff. But I forgot who was sitting across the table from, my, from me. And that's the day I realized that we should never forget our first love, Jesus himself. And my prayer to you would be, if you've been following Jesus forever, it's just this one thing. Don't forget the love that he has for you. Don't, do not be the someone that forgets love. Because just a little bit of extra story, and then we're going to end off, sorry, is this. In the story of Mephibosheth, when it goes on, he actually tried to fight against David. Crazy, right? David blesses him, but he turns against David. But the story tells us that David kept his promise and he kept blessing Mephibosheth. If you've turned against God and you've run away and you've rebelled, don't worry. He's still blessing. He's still there. So I want us to pray. and Take a moment to say to God, God, show us a better way. Show us something higher than ourselves. You can close your eyes. Jesus, as we are together here this morning or this evening, uh, Father, as we are just together in this space, I pray for this one thing, that you will come and show us a better version or picture of who we are. That we would not be like Mephibosheth and, and think that we're dead dogs. And that we may not be like Pharisees thinking we're awesome because we do good church things. 
but that the greatest thing about us is the fact that you love us and we are seated at the table with you. I want to encourage you, maybe today is a day that you feel you need to receive this love for the first time. You need to receive this truth to know that you are now seated at a table and you don't have to try and act religious. You can now sit with the one that came to make us new. Don't you want to just lift up your hands, open up your hands to receive this truth? It's awesome. Maybe you're in a space where you've been doing church things, but you're getting tired. And that's the only thing is, You're so focused on the decor that you're missing Jesus. And I pray that for all of us, we would focus on this one thing, his love for us. So let's take a few seconds to just focus on the beautiful face of Jesus and who he is in your life. Jesus, thank you that you love us and that you call us close and that we can be with you. And that you say, don't worry about the extra things. Don't worry about the troubles. Don't worry about the successes. Come as you are to my table and you will get to know the one that will bring you new life. Amen. Amen. What a message. If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.